Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Derek, and if you're new with us, I am the uh, lead pastor here. And uh, welcome, welcome aboard. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're starting a two-week series today. Very short. It's on the subject of rest, of balance, of uh, you know, margin in your life, uh, things like that. So I don't know if you could use that. I could use that. A lot of what I'm going to teach today and next week just kind of comes out of my own experience, my own uh, story. I'll share a story to end uh, today's message uh, with that hopefully hopefully will help you uh, as well. But again, it's just very personal. Uh, so a lot of this is, um, again, a lot of this is probably for me, uh, but I, I'm assuming that, is anybody busy in their life? Is anybody? Okay. All right. Good. I mean, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, how you doing? Well, I'm slammed. Like, that's, that's the response now. It's not, oh, I'm doing great. How about you? It's like, oh, I'm really busy. Uh, that's the thing that we say uh, anymore. But uh, do you like the artwork behind me? It's very nice. Uh, some, I forgot to say what it says last service, so we just sort of left everybody. But, um, but it says the one ring to rule them all. That's all it says. That's all it says. So, so um, <laughs> they told me just to say that and then just go on like nothing, you know. But... Uh, Actually, it's Greek. It's the words of Jesus. says, and I will give you rest. And uh, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit at the end of today's, uh, today's talk. Um, so I didn't really know how to start this thing. Like, we're, we all understand, okay, I'm overbooked. I'm overcommitted. I've said yes to too many things. I'm very busy. I forgot your name because I really don't care. And, you know, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. And my job is this. And my family is this. And my friend, it's just... We're, we're into this kind of like, it's very fast for me. It's very, uh, the, the speed is very high in our lives. And like, we all get that. We all have those seasons where um, that's just kind of our story. And some, some of you, that's like your only story. It's just constant movement, constant speed, constant momentum. And then for, you know, others of us, it comes in seasons and it's stressful and then maybe it settles down. I don't know of any story that sort of illustrates that other than just that's a shared experience for us, and I think we all get it. However, a friend of mine posted on Twitter a couple weeks ago, I thought something quite profound. Uh, notice what she says. She says, you know you're very busy if someone has to remind you on Twitter that your family is on Access Hollywood right now. Like, pretty incredible, right? You laughed just about as much as first service. So let me explain this. <laughs> let, me, let me interpret this for you. Uh, so her family is a friend of mine from college. She ended up marrying this guy, and uh, they have become sort of known, and they live uh, in L.A., but they, um, they were on Access Hollywood, but it was just one of the many things that they were doing uh, this summer, and it literally just one project after the next and then done, done with it, out of sight, out of mind, so busy that someone has to remind them, hey, your family's on TV right now. It's a really cool documentary about who you are. Oh, you know, I'm already into the next thing. Do you live your life like that sometimes where it's like, done with that, check, I'm into the next thing, and this is just a memory. I don't even remember it. I mean, it's just gone. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. So like this whole pace and speed of life can sometimes do that to us where we really sort of fall away uh, from, you know, being very present and whatever. And then the Bible has the nerve to say things like this. Be still and know that I am God. It's so frustrating, isn't it? Right? And here's the thing about any sort of discussion about uh, our time and balance. Here's the thing. 
there's no promise in scripture that if you just trust God, he'll fix your schedule. Like, there's no promise about that. Like, we think there might be. Like, if I just pray this way, or if I trust God in this way, if I do these things, if I serve, then he'll sort of sort out the stress in my life. But that's actually nowhere in the scriptures. Like, there's no, like, if you trust me, then, like, your days will just, like, you won't have 24 hours, you'll have 27. Like, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Uh, and so there's, there's, but what we do get from the scriptures are statements like this, like, what I need you to do, God's saying, is I need you to be still. I need you just to stop moving and to rest. And what's interesting about this one verse is that it's the second part that is so incredible. It's the, and know that I am God. Like this, these two things go together. Like you, you can't know God the way that you need to know God. The word for know in the Hebrew in this text is the word yada, which is a very intimate, sexual word. It's the deepest form of knowing between people, but also between us and God. Be still so that you may have the depth in the relationship with God that you need to have. And you know this just in human relationships. If we're constantly going, the depth of our relationships decreases. It's not, it doesn't grow, it doesn't deepen. It, it's more and more shallow as we go on, right? If we're constantly moving and constantly overbooking ourselves and constantly saying yes to too many things, our relationships grow very, very thin. And especially here in the city where we just kind of don't have time for anybody, the thinness of our relationships is, is prevalent. We kind of know people at this small level and then that's about it. And if we're constantly moving and the speed is high, then the relationship depth is not very deep. And the, th- the same thing is true with God. You have to stop and be still. Again, in human relationships, it's, you know, if, um, if we're overbooked and we can't pay attention to our kids, then those relationships will be very thin. If we're uh, constantly stressed about work and we can't pay attention to our spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or roommate like it's just going to grow thin it's going to get weak and the same is true with god like stillness quiet that's what is needed to build this relationship and the depth in this relationship with god and rest because of the culture we live in rest is not something that we uh, we all want it but we don't really do the things to get it And so it kind of eludes us. And so I don't really have any plans to get up here and figure out how to tell you or to tell you how to figure out how to fix your schedule. That's really your problem, and it's really my problem. I can't convince you or rearrange your life for you. But rest is one of those things that when we hear the Bible saying it to us, like our verse today, like, be still. I need you to be still. I need you to stop. I need you to quit doing what you're doing just long enough to where you can remember whose world you're living in, right? If you could just do that. When we hear things like that from Scripture, when we hear God saying those things to us, we kind of push back on it and just say, I can't do that right now. I can't do it at this moment. It's going to have to be later, which that never comes, right? We always fill the space with something else. And so rest and Sabbath is just one of those issues in life and in Scripture over which God will simply continually disagree with us. 
There are just going to be things where God disagrees with us on, and this is going to be one of them. We can keep saying to him, I don't have time for that. It's not feasible. It's not logical. I can't fit it in. And God's just going to continue to say, I disagree. And he's going to continue to disagree with us. I'll share this a little bit later, but just to give you an idea, if you think about it logically, there really is no way to come down from stress, to come down from the pace, except to carve out some time where you're not doing anything. Is that true? I mean, there's nothing else to add. You can't add anything else. The only way to survive is to take some things away and to have some space and to have some breathing room. Now, God gave the Israelites a day of the week called the Sabbath, saying, this is what you do on this day. You stop producing. You stop making the world go around. And you're just good for nothing for a full 24 hours except your humanness. Like, that's all I want you to be good for. I don't want you to produce. I don't want you to make. I don't want you to succeed. All I want you to do is just sit there and be good for nothing except for being human. And that's what they did. Now, we say, can't do that. That's a Jewish thing. And I don't have time, right? (laughs) But at the end of the day, what else is there to do? What else is there for you and I to do if we need to come down off the pace? Nothing except carve out some time to be still. But there's these things that get in the way of that. There's these things that keep us from doing that. And again, these are from my life, and so maybe you can connect uh, with these three. But I think the three biggest things for me in being still and and, uh, the practice of being still, the three biggest deterrents for me are pride, uh, a lack of discipline, and fear. Do any of those sound familiar to you? Now, let's talk about pride for a minute. Pride, when it comes to like, Hearing this command of God, be still and know that I'm God. Let's bring that back up with the screen so we can just let that scream at us and really frustrate us. Uh, when God says be still, there's some of us, for some of us, there's a pride thing that's like, I can't do that because I'm needed. I've got people that need me. I've got commitments that I've signed on to and I've got things that I have to do. And all those things may be true. And so therefore, it's, it's a really tough battle between us and God. When God says, look, the only thing I need you to do is to be still for a moment so that you can reawaken to my presence in your life. There's this pride that, like, I just can't do it right now because either I think I'm very important or because I feel overbooked or whatever. And if I stop doing what I'm doing, then everything falls apart. So there's this kind of internal pride, this battle uh, that goes on. Do you remember, I think it was last year or the year before, I can't remember, but Wikipedia decided that they would just black out for 24 hours. Do you remember this? I think it was over censorship, I don't remember, but it was quite comical because they were thinking, like, we're going to black out and the world's going to, it's like the apocalypse. Like, if you can't get on Wikipedia and find out where Tom Petty was born, like, the whole world (laughs) is going to fall apart, right? That is what Wikipedia is, right? Like, you wake up in the morning and you're like, where was Tom Petty born? And then you look it up and you're like, there it is, you know? But, yeah, so, it's almost true. Like, Wikipedia is like, movable truth, you know, you can edit it, but... They decided that they're just going to black it out kind of as a protest and show the world that, you know, we're needed. And what was ironic was that it had the reverse effect, which was the world just went on fine, didn't it? It was like, ooh, you shut down. You know, like, I got some things done today because I'm not on your website, right? So it had the the opposite effect, really. It kind of proved the point that none of us are really that important. That even, like, the most, like, 
whatever, like the biggest online information thing that we can have, this Wikipedia thing, like it shut down for 24 hours and nobody died. And I don't, like, they, you never heard a thing about it after. Maybe they figured that out, like, in the post-meeting, like, yeah, that was dumb. We just kind of, <laughs> we kind of justified our, you know, our need to not really be here, you know. But that's what happens to us. Like, this idea that if we stop doing what we're good at or what drives us or what sustains us, then things will fall apart, that things will come unglued. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor Uh, says this about this very issue. She says, as much as most of us complain about having too much to do, now you know you do that and I do that too. She says, as much as we complain about having too much to do, we harbor some sense of pride that we are in such high demand. There's this little thing about us, because like if you're talking to your friends who are quite influential and they're like, so what are you doing this week? And you go... I got nothing. You're automatically sort of shoehorned into this category of like, you're such a slacker. Right? What's your problem? We harbor this small bit of pride, like, you know, I'm needed and I like that. I'm in demand. Another thing for me is that there's a lack of discipline to find the time to waste time. The lack of discipline to sort of find the time and redeem the time and to take control of it and say, I'm not going to let anything interfere with it. It's just this lack of, you know, personal discipline to get in there and to do that. Like this struggle of just saying yes to everything. You know what I'm saying? Like you just say yes to anything that comes your way. Like, yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll do this for you. When I was in uh, youth ministry, when I was a youth minister, um, when I was just doing high school ministry, I was overbooking myself at football games and people's plays and, you know, junior high girls basketball games. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, like, halftime score, two to zero. It's a terrible situation, right? Um, Talk about wasting time. But um, but I was doing this. I was, like, I was just living in the schools and football games and, plays and you know all these events and then trying to hang out with students after school and just just really running wild and I kind of reached a point where like they the students actually convinced me to do a lock-in do you remember these things like it's just a terrible idea you know like um, and I did it you know and I was like I hate these things but I did it my intern and I did it and we were the only two but after that event um, and I'm so stupid like we had I think it was like it was a middle school night again don't do a middle school lock-in but it was, um, I think there were like 50 kids or something. And somehow in my brain, like 50 pizzas sounded right. <laughs> right? I was like, yeah, 50, 50 pizzas, bring them on in. You know, and we threw away 44 pizzas, you know. But um, so I did this event. I was just wiped out. And it had just kind of been at the, at the end of a long run of this kind of just trying to be at everybody's everything. And the pastor pulled me aside and just said, you need to know something about working here. Um, we don't think that you need to be at everybody's everything because you can't be everyone's everything and you're not their parent like the parent should be at the ball game and it's cool if you can go to the ball game but don't feel like you got to be at everybody's ball game and so over the next several years I started to trim that list down and I 
ended up just really pouring into about seven guys in the youth group. And that was it. You know, the other hundred could fend for themselves. You know, no, we had other leaders. But it was just, I finally got it down to just a manageable amount of people that I could pour into. And in ministry, here's the thing about ministry. I don't know what it's like in your job. Because uh, I've never had a real job. So I, I, you have to tell me what it's like. But uh, in ministry, every single suggestion is a good idea. Like if people come up to me in the lobby and say, we should have a prayer ministry. You can't say, no, we shouldn't. You know, like, no, we don't need that. You know, or we need to be a church that sings more. No, we don't. Like, you can't say that. Everything is a good idea. Like, you should preach less minutes. Like, okay, that's true. But uh, you can't say anything about, I mean, all ideas in ministry are good. They're all good. And my tendency is to just continue to say yes. It's this undisciplined kind of thing where it's just I stack up, you know, all these different things uh, relationally in my life. The biggest thing, though, for me is fear. And I think that you can connect with this, too. There are two levels of this. One, I think we're afraid of the, of the sounds in our own head. The sounds of our own thoughts, not anybody else's thoughts, but our own thoughts in stillness are frightening. And in today's world, where um, on our phones alone, we can continually stay tethered to all kinds of information. And if we begin to feel uncomfortable at the slightest moment of stillness, we can distract ourselves with something else, can't we? Like it's quiet, just like that. And you go, I can't, I can't handle that. So I'm going to see what somebody's eating. Or, and this is very true, I'm going to see what's going on in another part of the world that I actually can't do anything about, but it's going to stress me out. And this is what, our, this is what has happened, is that we are overconsumed with things that we can't do anything about, and it's driving us. But the, the effect, the impact that it's having on us as individual people, as human beings, as people made the image of God, is that we can't sit still and be comfortable with our own thoughts. Like, we just have to have noise. We have to have other things being spoken into those spaces. We can't just sit there long enough to be reminded that we're not perfect, or, yeah, I need to work on that, or I need to apologize to that person, or I'm empty. There's a fear there. And so we fill it, and we keep it shallow, and we keep the depth real shallow. The other thing with fear is for me there's this fear that if I stop doing what I'm doing if I let go of my world then again almost like the pride thing that things are going to come apart there's this fear that um, like this loss of control this loss of being in the driver's seat this loss of I'm in the front I'm in the lead. I have control. Again, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor says it this way. She says, uh, it's very difficult to find many advocates for the spiritual practice of saying no. I talked about the issue of saying yes too much, but she says, it's hard to find these people that are strong enough to say no. And um, she gives some examples. No, I want to stay home tonight. 
right? No, I have enough work to do for now. I don't know how that would work at your office, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, another example she gives is, no, I have all the possessions that I can take care of, right? Now, she amplifies this saying, depending on your temperament, your cultural conditioning, and your circle of friends, negations like these can sound like death wishes. Because if there's nothing more that you want to do or have, then why go on living? If you're going to say no to perfectly good opportunities for adding more to your life, then what is the point? Now she goes on to say, as I said earlier, there are these moments in time that God calls us to enter where we are good for nothing except our humanness. Like just our creatureliness. That's all he cares about. Like just, just be a waste of space and that'll be a good spot for you. Not your whole life. That's not what the Bible's asking you to be. Like, you know, I know that might be your dream job. But just long enough to remember that you're human and that you live in his world and not your world. Now, Psalm 4610, the setting is interesting. It's verse 10 of an 11-verse psalm. And it's also the only verse where God speaks. It's the only verse that has quotes around it. Although in the Hebrew language, there's no quotes. But it's the only time God speaks in all 11 verses. Just this one verse. He says, be still and know that I am God. From verse 1 to verse 9, it's essentially a psalm that's describing or giving us a picture of a world that's coming unglued. It's chaos. Everything's falling apart. Like it's, you could read it and just get stressed out reading it. Like mountains are falling into the sea. There's wars. There's people dying. There's just all these things happening. And it's stressful just to read it. It's a very tense psalm. And it's right at the end, God begins to speak through the psalm. And he says, in light of all this, in the midst of the chaos... I need you to be still and know that I am God, right? I need you to, because when things are falling apart around us, what do we do? We drive faster. We grab on harder. We try and fix it more diligently. And God's remedy is, and again, these are all descriptions of things that nobody can do anything about. You know, natural disasters, the economy's failing. I mean, everything's falling apart. Like, we can't do anything about that. We can just, we're just along for the ride, right? And so the psalm is just saying, look, when you're in the midst of these experiences in life that you really have no control over, and they're very, very stressful, it's in those moments I need you just to be still. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to do anything. Just be still and reawaken to my presence in these moments. That's what the psalm is asking us to do. It is, in a sense, a Sabbath. It is, in a sense, a momentary Sabbath. We talked about the Sabbath last week. Just some review for you on the screen. The Sabbath is, it means rest, but not a wiped out kind of tired. We talked about this last week. It's not that kind of tired. It's more like a finished kind of tired, more like things are complete. There's a wholeness to what I've just gone through. Like I can look back and say, it's complete. Think wholeness, maybe perfection. Sabbath is referenced from Exodus 20 all the way back to the seventh day of creation where God created rest, where God created Sabbath. And it says God rested 
from all the work that he, has, that he had done, not because he's tired, but because he's finished. It's complete. Day seven in the creation story is a picture of wholeness. It's also a picture of where all of the cosmos is going. It's this ultimate Sabbath at peace, shalom, rest. It's where it's, it's, where it's going. It's where it's heading. History is going that direction, not the other direction. And so Sabbath is this, if we Sabbath, whether it's every day or once a week or whatever, when we Sabbath, we are practicing this kind of rehearsal for the world to come. This is what the Hebrew mien, olam, ohaba means. Like it means the world to come. It's what the Jews say about the Sabbath. It's a taste of the world to come. Now the trick is to Sabbath when you're not finished. That's the trick. When things aren't complete, Sabbath becomes resistance. Does that make sense? So the trick is to Sabbath when you're not finished. That's the trick. Now Jews, observant Jews still practice the Sabbath. It is a beautiful thing to learn about and to even try yourself. Now are they finished on Friday evening with all their work? Absolutely not. But they've become good at just being wastes of space for 24 hours and to do nothing but to socialize and to eat and to be with one another and to remember whose world they're living in. The trick is to Sabbath when you're not finished. Being still long enough to remember whose world we're living in. Let me tell you a story and we'll start to close with this. It's a personal story. Um, Two weeks before Easter last year, I didn't preach. I know that's been on your mind for a year. Um, (laughs) my friend Jamie Vernon came in and preached one Sunday and then following him uh, an older gentleman named Jim Donovan came in and preached and then I was back for Easter Sunday now again I know you've been wondering what was going on so I'm going to tell you Uh, I actually ended up in the ER two weeks before Easter uh, but there was no blood I had a panic attack and I want to tell you about that because it was a very interesting experience for me it had never happened to me before Uh, It has happened since because they said, once you have one, welcome to the show. Um, And so I'm getting used to those. But it was the first time I'd ever had it. I was home on a Friday. I was off. My daughter, who wasn't one yet, was asleep in the bedroom. And I was just sitting there watching something, you know, something stressful, something like CNN. I don't know. The whole world was falling apart in front of me. It was a good day off. And I was sitting there watching TV. And it all of a sudden, and this is the only way I can describe it, all of a sudden my body got really hot, like really hot. And I kind of sat up and then I felt my heart rate get really fast. And I thought, this is it. Like this is how it's going to go down right here, right? I'm kind of that guy anyway. My wife makes the joke like I'm going to die at 100, but my tombstone's going to say I told you I was sick. But... um, (laughs) (laughs) that's just the way I am so I'm sitting there and I'm kind of like I don't know what's happening I'm not in pain but something is not right and so I call 911 like I'm just at that point so I call 911 and I said I don't don't know she's like what's your pulse I'm like I don't know like she says check your pulse and she said what is this this is very high it's very high (laughs) Um, and so she began to talk to me, and then she said, do you have any aspirin? I said, no, and I'm digging through the cabinet. I was like, we've got coffee. Does that, does that help? Like, can I, eat some, can I eat some coffee beans? Like, what are we doing here? And uh, 
so all that to say, she said, someone is on the way. And so, again, my daughter's asleep, and I'm like, I'm kind of, that's also making me panic, because I'm thinking about her. And then, uh, so I call my parents and tell them what's going on, tell them to get over to the place and take care of baby Alex. So I go out to the sidewalk uh, of our building, and up pulls the fire truck. And the next scene is, I'm sitting on the sidewalk of Peachtree Row without my shirt on, which is a beautiful, beautiful sight. <laughs> Right? Neighbors are walking by, how you doing? Um, and I've got all those things, they're doing an EKG on the sidewalk, and I got all those things hooked up to my chest. And it was a very interesting moment because the paramedic is looking at the screen and he looks at me and he looks back at the screen and he looks at me and he says, bro, you okay? And I was like, I, that's your job, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. And he says, cause everything is fine here, like are you, are you okay? And then the ambulance pulled up, and they have kind of a better EKG, so the firemen got their feelings hurt, so I change, I change. I'm going to go with them. Um, they got more cables. And so I go in there, and they do the same thing. And I, I hear the same thing from them, like, everything's fine, are you? What's going on? And then my dad pulls up, and they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, let's just go on to Piedmont, you know. I was born there. I can die there. That'll be kind of a nice, <laughs> be a full circle, you know. Uh, uh, you know what nurses don't care about, by the way, is when you tell them, hey, I was born here. Like, they don't care. Like, I tell them every, you know, did you know I was born here? That's great. Have a seat. Uh, so we get to Piedmont, and I go in, and I get the third EKG, you know, because they, they got to do theirs. And then they put me in a room, and then, you know, it's just me and my wife and the nurse. And then this doctor rolls in, and literally, he rolls in on a chair, just up to the bed. So cool. And um, he's looking at my chart. He's like two years older than me, which made me nervous because like I didn't pay attention in college. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I need to know that you're going to do the, the right thing. So he pulls up and he says, okay, I'm looking at your chart and your EKG. And I'll, he says, it sounds like you're having some stress-related problems. However, we're going to work this out through exclusion. So we're just going to run every test on you, do some x-rays. I said, that's fine. Like I was just kind of resigned at that point. Like that's fine. And so they hook everything up. I give a lot of blood. I take an x-ray. They're pumping water in me because apparently I was dehydrated and all this sort of stuff. And then the nurse is sitting there. She says, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And then her and the doctor looked at each other. And the doctor said, yeah, we see a lot of you people. And I said, well, that's good to know. I don't know. And five hours later, he comes rolling back in. And he says, um, okay, all the test results are in. Everything's ship shape. You look great, but you need to chill out. I'm like, that's it? And it wasn't the Bible telling me that. It was just some ER doctor coming in and saying, look, we're just looking at the numbers and you're fine, but something up here is causing you to get to this place. Now, I don't know how you make your money, but the way I've always made my money, the way that I feed my family the way that I pay my mortgage, the way that I buy clothes, although I know you're thinking this is all I own. Um, the way that I eat, the way that I live, again, I don't know how you make your money, but I've always made my living essentially because we pass a hat. So I've lived my whole career understanding that I'm, I'm able to live and do life because of the generosity of people in this room. It's also stressful because you never really know when that's just going to stop. You know, because there's no, you don't have to. 
but it's just people at will out of their own generosity supporting our family like that's how i've always that's what all i've ever known and uh, because of that that has always caused me to want to work harder and all the time for you it always has done that i'm not good with not doing anything for you you know i feel guilty if i go home at the end of the day and I didn't finish what I started, or I feel guilty if there's 15 minutes of like, I'm just staring at the computer. Like, I feel very guilty about that. And, and so I find things to do for you. I find ways to pray more for you. I find, way, find ways to get together with you and to essentially prove that it's, I, I'm worth the salt, you know? Like, this, is, this has been the effect on my life, is that I always felt the need to work harder and harder and harder for you, even if it cut into evenings and Saturdays and you name it. And the doctor rolls in and says, you can't do that anymore. It's not the Bible, it's not God, it's just God speaking through this doctor saying, you can't do that anymore. And I had to learn over the last year that it's okay for me to go to bed and not think about you. I do think about you all the time and I worry about you and when you email me something that's going on in your life I I carry that with me but there are times now where and I'm getting better at this but I'm not there yet completely there are times now where I'm more and more okay with I don't have to answer that right now or I don't have to read something that has to do with ministry or I don't have to feel guilty about watching Duck Dynasty like Like, I don't, right? I don't have to feel guilty on a Saturday. Like, if I go into Saturday and two-thirds of my talk is written and I don't really know what the last third looks like, I, I don't feel guilty anymore about spending the day Saturday not thinking a thing about it and just waking up on Sunday and saying, eh, we'll figure it out. Does that make sense? And I, trust me, I had read those scriptures a million times, but it was a doctor on a rolling chair saying, you can't do that anymore. It's not healthy, it's not right, it's not human. And so I had to learn the hard way what it means to be still, to be quiet, and to reawaken to God's presence. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, uh, verse 28, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. I love that phrase. You ever feel just heavy? Like the schedule is just heavy. He says, come to me and I will give you what's the word? Rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is not about your schedules, by the way. This is just about what it means to try and make your own way, to be your own salvation, to have your hands on your own world and to forget or to be mistaken that it's not your world. And Jesus is just saying, you got to let go of that and come to me and learn to be still and learn to be in my presence, to reawaken to that. I want to close with uh, Hebrews 4. I read this last week, and it's the writer uh, talking about this rest that we find in God, which he equates to the Sabbath. And he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his 
works. Like there's, there is this laying down of what I think I'm controlling and finding rest in God. And then he says at the end there, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And it's another reminder that God doesn't provide for us a fix for our schedules. We have to strive for it. We have to be disciplined. We have to be unafraid. And we have to not harbor pride in finding stillness. It's not going to give it to us. We've got to carve it out, right? Just like you do in every other relationship, it means more if you make time for the person, both for them and for you. It's not given to you. It's not slated to you. You have to, you have to strive for it. I have to strive for it. And this whole salvation in Christ, which brings spiritual rest, is a picture of laying down what we feel like we're in control of. That's what the writer's saying in Hebrews. Like, just lay that down. Rest from your own works. Come into this rest of God, this rest that comes from God, knowing that you don't have to, you don't have to control all that. You don't, this sounds so crazy, but you don't have to watch the news and feel any responsibility for fixing what you just saw. I mean, some, yes, but you don't have to like take it all in and just feel like the world is under your control and under your watch. So, I'll leave you with that. Um, I'll pray for you and for our communion, our time of communion uh, just now. And take these moments, and Jeff and I were talking between services about this. Uh, He'll be playing and singing, of course, but what we would like you to do is just to sit still for a few moments and when you're ready you can take the bread and the juice from one of the four tables and but then just come back to your seat and just be still and pray and reflect on what you've heard and uh, don't feel the need to sing the song or learn the song or just just let it speak to you and let it uh, guide your thoughts and in uh, your heart today and then we'll close in a song together let's pray god thank you for today thank you for commands like this that invite us into a kind of disciplined stillness that helps us uh, reawaken to your presence in our lives, in our world, in, in our struggles. And uh, God's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to feel good about wasting time, gloriously wasting time with you um, because it doesn't work uh, like we think it should work. It doesn't produce Uh, like we think it should produce. We're looking so much for results. We're looking so much for um, just the impact that whatever we do has on our life. And then sometimes it's, you're just saying, be still. And it doesn't, it's, it's it's a dissonance to our ears. But God, teach us, even if it's just in these moments on Sundays together, teach us to be still long enough to remember that this is your world. We get to be a part of it. We get to manage some things in it. But at the end of the day, it's in your control. And that the state of the universe is that it's just fine. And that you've got it. And that you're pulling us towards this ultimate rest. And until then, we just have to practice and get a taste of it and discipline ourselves to experience it. And God, help us as a church to bring, somehow bring rest to those around us. 
to those we work with, to our families, um, to our neighbors. And God, as we take the bread and the juice uh, these next few moments, uh, I pray that as we sit in quiet, um, as we move to the tables, you will encourage us and give us courage uh, and the wisdom to know what we can handle and to know what we need to let go of. Teach us to be happy and joyful uh, in life as it is, knowing that you're in control. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.